Okay, we're going to dive into today's message. I'm excited about today's message. We are in week number two of Relationship Goals. It's a brand new series that we started, kicked it off last week. Uh, we talked last week about back to the basics. Anybody work on the basics this week? Uh, I don't know about you, Phyllis and I worked on them, focused on them. Uh, sometimes we can come to church and the premise of the message was uh, we can try to get so deep and spiritual we forget that there are some basic things that will catapult our life if we're faithful and consistent in them. In fact, you don't get to any kind of a championship game without being good at the basics. Go Chiefs. Whoop, whoop. Come on, somebody. I know it's an upset, but you, you got the Eagles and Chiefs. They, they both were good at the basics. And they, they understand the fundamentals, and sometimes we walk into a marriage and we forget the fundamentals, we forget the basics, and we're going back to that because we want to build championship marriages that are unstoppable and that fulfill God's purpose in our life and in our families. If you missed it, I want to encourage you, go back and watch it on YouTube. You can download it through uh, the app over at Anchor, Anchor Ben TX on uh, iTunes in the podcast section. Um, today, I want to talk about six relationship decisions that we all get to make. Six relationship decisions uh, that we get to make. We get to choose what we do when we're confronted with that decision. And what you do in that decision actually determines the health of your relationship. And this is not just for marriage, marriages or married couples. Uh, it's actually for every relationship you would have in your life. So if you're engaged, maybe you're single, uh, maybe you're a teenager or a child or a parent uh, that, that's divorced or single, it, does, it doesn't matter. It's every relationship that you have, there are some decisions that I got to make. And if I make them correctly, it's going to build a healthy, life-giving relationship. And so I want to address those today because you get to choose. You get to decide, and uh, we'll go through six of them. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. You get to decide if you're going to fill in the gap with trust or suspicion. In the relationship that you have in your life, there's often a gap from what we expect people to do versus what they actually do, and uh, that gap, you get to decide what you're going to fill in that gap. You can fill in the gap trust. Or you get to fill into the gap suspicion. Let me give you a case in point. Maybe you're meeting someone for lunch, it's supposed to meet you at the restaurant, and uh, you guys are going to spend time together, build your relationship together. You get there on time. That's your MO. You do it often. That's what I'm going to do. I'm leaders get there early. And you're sitting there, and the time you're supposed to meet comes and goes, and that person is running late. Anybody ever been there? You, you got two choices now. You can say, well, I'm sure there's a good reason that they're running late. Or you can say, they're always late. They're always, they, they don't care about, have you ever, man, they don't care about me. If they cared about me, they'd value my time. They clearly don't value my time because they're late. And so we go into this negative spiral. And though you would never tell them, it impacts the way you react to them when they show up. You ever had that? I mean, it just sets the whole pace of that conversation, and it had nothing to do with them. And then I've been the person, because I, I value time more than money, because uh, money you can make, time you can never get back. And so I'm pretty big on that. You got a meeting with me, show up on time. And I found myself saying, well, man, they just, they just don't value me, don't care. And then 
somehow in the conversation, the conversation is going sideways, and you wouldn't say it directly, but then it'll come up, yeah, well, leaders are early, you know. It's, <laughs> and it impacts that relationship. Why? Because I didn't fill in the gap with trust, but suspicion. And then those times where I've had a distrust, and I'm like, man, why were you late? And, and they're like, man, I had a flat. I did everything I could to get here. I'm grateful I'm only five minutes late. Oh, and I'd have called you too, but my son threw my phone in the toilet, and I was just glad to be here, and I'm grateful for your grace to allow me a few minutes late, right? Trust or suspicion? What do you fill the gap with? I, I, I like to say it like this. Look, assumptions can either be termites or ants. One erodes and destroys, the other builds and stores. Suspicion, think about it. It eats away, it erodes a relationship, it destroys the relationship. That's what termites do. But then when you look at trust, what does trust do? Trust builds up, trust covers, restores, and, and that's what we want in a relationship. Just like that, be faithful, building up, storing up. Why? Because we're protecting this relationship. Relationships matter. I love what 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. So what are you going to fill the gap with in your relationship? Maybe it's the relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's the relationship with your teenager or teenager. Maybe it's the relationship with your, your parents. I mean, have you ever had your son say they're supposed to be somewhere and they're going to be there and then, hey, they're going to get home on time? I don't know about you. My son's walked in late and I lied into him. Never asking them, hey, was everything okay? Are you safe? Did anything happen? It's like, no, 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 no. I, I want to build this relationship up, and I choose to trust them so that we can build healthy, life-giving relationships. It, it reminds me of a story that I heard about two couples that lived next to each other. One couple had a dog, and the other one had a pet rabbit. And uh, the couple with the dog one night uh, let the dog out, um, to go and play with, uh, or actually to go use a restroom out in the backyard. And that dog often would go over the fence to the neighbor's house to play with the rabbit. But on this night, that dog jumps over the fence. They hear a skirmish taking place. They hear the dog barking and growling and hear some noise and ruckus. And that dog grabbed the rabbit and jumped the fence. And hanging in its mouth was the rabbit, which was dead. And the couple's like, oh my, oh my God, our dog killed the rabbit, the pet rabbit, our friend's pet rabbit. What are we going to do? And so they looked at each other, talked to each other. The wife said, I got an idea. We're going to clean this rabbit up. We're going to get its fur all nice and dry, and we'll go place the rabbit in its favorite place, and we'll just prop it up, and then we'll come back home. So they do that. They go back inside. They'd propped up the rabbit. Later that night, the couple next door comes home. And they hear, ah, scream. The neighbors come out, what's happened? What's going on? And they walk up. They said, our rabbit is sitting in its favorite place. The problem is it died yesterday and we buried it. Sometimes it pays to dig a little bit deeper than assuming the worst assumptions, the lowest form of knowledge. You have trust or suspicion, you decide. Second thing is this, conflict can produce either intimacy or division. 
conflict. Now, conflict's gonna happen. Any relationship that you have, in fact, I would say it like this, if you have a relationship that has no conflict, it's probably not a deep relationship. Every deep relationship I've ever had has conflict. There's challenges, there's struggles, there's confrontation. And we need to realize that all conflict is not bad. And there's this mentality for many people that it's bad to have conflict, that somehow conflict means we're unhealthy, it's a weakness in someone's life. But really, I need you to hear this, and I want you to write this down. Conflict is an opportunity for intimacy. It's an opportunity. See, when you see conflict as an opportunity, then you embrace that moment where there is conflict in the relationship because conflict happens when people have differing perspectives, they come from different situations, and so conflict is good because what's happening in a relationship that has conflict that's done in a healthy way is intimacy is being built. Healthy conflict. What is healthy conflict? It's based on mutual respect. It's based on mutual trust. Being able to express your thoughts without bullying the other person. It's being able to express your thoughts without putting someone down or making them feel less than because they have a different opinion. And so we embrace conflict when it's done in a healthy way. And how's it done healthy? Look, gentle, gentle. We need gentle spirits. Stick to statements that are like, I, not you. How many know if you start a conflict off with you, that's going nowhere real fast? But well, we started off in a gentle way, a disarming way, and we begin to talk about us. That is the beginning of a healthy conflict. Now, healthy conflicts, write this down. You're able to verbalize your needs and wants and mutually work out a compromise. You're able to verbalize your needs. You're able to verbalize your desires, your wants, and then we're going to work out a compromise. So imagine this. If you never have conflict, you're never doing that. And so we don't run from conflict. Some of you were in homes that were dysfunctional. Some of you have had relationships that were dysfunctional. And so now I'm going to go in and make peace, but I need you to know if every time you're in a situation, you're always trying to make peace, there's no real intimacy being built. And I read a study that was fascinating. They said every relationship that is healthy, especially if he's talking about marriages, have at least one conflict every week. Fascinating. I've been studying John Gottman. He's a, I mean, he's a great psychologist. He's done lots of study. But at least one conflict every single week. And then here was the other fascinating thing. Many couples never resolve those conflicts, and they wait years to actually get into a place where they can do it in a healthy way. He said it takes typically six years for couples to get to a place that is unhealthy for them to say, I need help in resolving conflict in my life. And if you look at it, look, conflict's not going to divide us, baby. Conflict's going to make us more intimate. Well, then you start to embrace it. I'm not running from it. I'm embracing it, but I got to have a healthy pattern of how to have a healthy conflict. Okay, third thing is this. Here's the third relational decision everyone makes in a relationship. You can forgive in the absence of apology. You get to choose. What are you saying? If you've been in a relationship with anybody long enough, how many know you're going to be offended? You're going to be frustrated? There are things that person's going to do or say, or here's the other one, right? It's not even what they do or say, it's what they don't do and don't say. 
that a lot of times the grievance we have is, is not that they did anything wrong, they just didn't meet our expectation. I thought you were going to fulfill me. I thought you were going to complete me. I thought you were going to be my peanut butter and jelly. Right? It's, it's like I thought we were going to go together, and for whatever reason, you just don't see it my way. And so there is this gap of expectation. And some of it, listen, some of the people have said hurtful things. They've done hurtful things. Can I tell you? Some of my best friends in the whole world have, have hurt me some of the deepest times. And here's what I've always found. I'm going to fight for that relationship. I'm going to forgive. Well, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, neither did I. But Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died a cruel death on a cross, and his blood offers forgiveness to me for my life. You're telling me that I can't forgive this person that has hurt me, that has wounded me, that has really caused pain in my life? No, 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 no. I'm going to because forgiveness is a choice. I'm going to forgive. Now, I do want you to know this. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. You just need to know that. Now, for marriages, we're always fighting for reconciliation. People say, well, how do I know if I married the right one? Well, the day you said I do, you married the right one. Come on, somebody. Now, I also want to be aware there are circumstances where people, like, they get out of the marriage. It wasn't safe. Something happened. I'm not talking about any exception, but as a general rule, in a marriage, we are fighting for reconciliation. In families, we are fighting for reconciliation. Now, again, you may have someone who's toxic, and they don't have uh, the, the health that is needed to have a healthy relationship. You don't have to allow them into the intimate parts of your life, but we can still be Jesus to them at some level. Someone says, well, how many times have I got to forgive my spouse? I have told them and told them and told them, and they just, how many times have I got to do it? Well, Peter, he asked the same question. He said, Jesus, Matthew 18, 21, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister who has sinned against me? Now, I love Peter because, you know, back then the, the common answer would be three. Religious people said, well, I'm going I'm to forgive you three times. Jesus said, I mean, Peter says, look, I'm going I'm to do what they do. We're going to double it, and we're going to add something to it. Jesus, what about seven times? And I just see Peter like this. Oh, I'm good. I'm doing twice as much plus some. And Jesus said, oh, Peter, you missed it. Here's what, and, and I'll say, see, Jesus understood forgiveness is not about them. Forgiveness is about you. And if you don't forgive people, you get locked into a prison of unforgiveness. And so Jesus was not saying because they're worthy or they're good enough. It's because he wants to set us free. And forgiveness is the only way we get set free. So he tells Peter, you missed it. It's infinity. 70 times 7. That's how many times you forgive. And it's more than forgiveness. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Of course, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. But look at those two words, kind and compassionate. Won't you know this kindness allows you to see something about someone that cruelty never could? Kindness, tenderness. Gentleness. It's like, man, did, did you know that kindness will literally open your eyes, but cruelty shuts them? Wow. Compassion. And I love what he said here. He didn't just say be kind. He said compassionate. Compassionate is not sympathy. Compassionate is not, well, I sympathize. Wow, that's... No, no. 
Compassion is that there is something within me that I am so moved that it causes me to do something. There is a movement towards you. And so no matter how hurt I am, think about this. When we walk in kindness and compassion, no matter how hurt I am because of what you said or what you did, there is so much of God inside of me. I overlook my offense and I say, I got to reach out to you. Man, isn't that what Jesus would do? So it's not just forgiveness. It's the kindness of God. It's the compassion of God. And we begin to put our eyes on others that God has placed in our life. You don't have to have an apology for you to forgive. Stop looking for your spouse to ask you to forgive them. Listen, I know you, you can, I'm telling you, how many, you could, you could, you could keep tally forever. Well, they ought to know. Come on, you, you know what I'm talking about. She done that, he's done that. No, 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 no. Just stop taking tally and just say, when am I afraid? Every time. Well, you want to be a change agent? You're like, well, I'll change when they ask for, no, no, you forgive, and I promise you, your spouse will change. I promise you, your kids will change, your parents will change, whoever it is that you're holding that unforgiveness against, you are the change agent, and that's what I love about the power of the gospel. We are not victims. We are not subject to the environment around us. We are victors, and the power of God within us will change the world around us, but you get to choose. Which will you choose? Number four, here's the fourth thing. I love it. You can criticize or you can encourage. You get to choose. Well, pastor, I would not criticize if there was something good to encourage. <laughs> I mean, we, you ever been in a relationship, you're like, man, they're just saying a whole lot to encourage. Here, here's where we miss it when that's our perspective is encouragement addresses hidden potential. Criticism just addresses the obvious. So what I'm asking you is, are you going to live a life addressing the obvious in a relationship, or are you going to look for hidden potential? Because God brought you into that relationship so that you would uncover the gifts, uncover what God placed, the treasure that's with inside of them. And so we get the ability, are we going to encourage them? What does encouragement do? It builds up. What does criticism do? It tears down. So in your relationship, here's what I would ask you. Are you a builder or are you one that destroys? Look at Proverbs 18, 21. says the tongue can bring death or life. What's that mean? It's your power. What's that mean? You get to choose. When you open your mouth, are you speaking life? Are you creating life? When you open your mouth, are you creating death and destruction? Those who love it will reap the consequences. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. I've been praying this scripture all of last year. You know, I, I have found myself, and, and I'm going to be real candid, even with COVID, there were a lot of things. I had disciplines coming that got me to where I was before COVID. But how many know once COVID happened, it wasn't just COVID, it was the, it was the social distancing. It was the out of your rhythm. And man, I, I used to guard my mouth really tight I used to do confessions and declare and speak God's word. And what I found was through COVID and this whole changing of the rhythm and all that, I had gotten out of putting a filter on my mouth. And last year, I really felt the Lord check me and say, listen, son, you are living in the environment that you created. And you're asking me to deliver you from what you made. 
Lord, deliver me, but you're speaking it. You created it. You want a healthy marriage, but we're speaking death to our spouse. You want kids that are healthy, but we keep criticizing them. And so God began to really check me on this. And, and here's the passage that I pray every day. Look at this, Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Listen, he did not say the malicious, the angry, the bitter. What did he say? Just reckless. Just without thought. Don't, don't be the person that says, well, I'm just going to... I'm just going to get it all out. We don't need it all out. Just keep some of that back in. Well, I'm just going to process with you. No, no, no. Don't process that with me, please. Do you know for every negative word or phrase that you speak over someone that it takes 10 positives just to flip it back to neutral? And the Lord just really challenged me on it. Even the way I correct my kids, how many know it's so easy to say, tell them all the things they're doing. You're not dead. And just like the other day when you didn't do it, what are we doing, man? We're just beating them down. What if we just said, hey, you know the other day you did something. It was fantastic. Man, there was so much discipline in there and so much integrity. I wonder, can, can you bring that into this? Because I've seen it. I know it's in there. And I'm going to encourage them to bring it out and to, and to speak the goodness of God, the greatness. And someone said, well, this generation's undisciplined. No, no, no. No, no, no. Listen to this. Discipline is dormant in the absence of a dream. They're not undisciplined. They're dying because they don't have God's vision for their life. And so if we begin to speak God's vision and encourage them, look, I don't have to wake my son up to go hunt. It is the funniest thing. That brother will get up at 3 a.m. and track an hour and a half, and he's up. Why? Because that is the passion of his life. And so if we can encourage him, man, I see that. I wonder if we could apply that same discipline that's already in your life and put it right here. I like this. Uh, here's, I love this. Zach Brittle says this. Criticism is when a complaint is expressed as a character flaw. So I'm going to have healthy feedback. Here's a way, and write this down. How, how do I have healthy feedback? It's, here's my needs. Will you help me? So you're expressing what a need is. Hey, I need that trash to be taken out. And I think you're old enough to do that on a consistent basis. Will you help me with that? You think you can do that for me? And then you begin to call it out. That's, I'm not saying don't confront people, but let's do it in a healthy way. Let's, let's encourage them as we build them up. Here's the fifth thing. You can walk in faith or you can live in fear. So in every relationship, you're either walking in faith or you're living. Proverbs 29, 25, for the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Let me say it like this. You mirror what you fear and you reflect what you expect. Mirror what you fear. So you're going, you, if, if what you focus on is the fear, you, that's what you're going to create in your life. Why is that? Because you become what you behold. You ever had somebody, and I've counseled people for a long time. My mom is a licensed therapist, and 
Here's what someone will say that has pain and trauma from the past that's unresolved. I don't ever want to be like my dad. I don't ever want to be like my dad. I don't ever want to be like my dad. I don't want to have a marriage like my parents. I don't want to have a family like my family. I will be poor like my parent. Whatever your fear is, here's what we'll do is we'll say, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And 10 out of 10 people become the very thing they don't want to. Because God didn't call you to focus on the fear. God wants you to rewrite your destiny with the power of his word. He wants to make a shift from fear to faith. And it's like, no, no, I, I know this happened in past generations but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know that families I came out of was broke, but I am blessed. The blessing of the Lord brings prosperity, is what the Bible says, without any tribulation or trouble. I'm looking for the blessing of God in my life. I don't care that they were poor. I don't care that this, I'm going to focus with faith on this. Did you know that faith and fear have the same definition? They both believe that what they don't see will happen. And when you recognize that, that's why you can't focus on the fear. Why? Because you're going to bring and manifest through faith in the devil and the enemy, even though you're a blood-bought Christian, you're going to bring that reality here because you're believing what doesn't exist will exist. Takes just just as much. You can focus on it just as much. Just shift your focus in this relationship. God, I believe that it's going to be restored. I know my son doesn't talk to me. I know my daughter doesn't talk to me. But God, you're the God of healing and restoration. And I choose to work on me. And Lord, that you're, they're in your hands. And you begin to have faith and speak into this relationship. And I promise you, things will change. It's what we did last night for the marriage, uh, stronger marriage uh, night. How many, how many couples were there? Wasn't it powerful? We got, a, we got vision for our marriages. Not even someone said, well, were they that bad? Some were in crisis. Many have just stalled out. It's like, it's not good, it's not bad, but we're doing pretty good. We're doing better than we used to do. And there were a few, what vision does is it's seeing beyond today. No matter where we're at, good, bad, or indifferent, there's greater. There's more. We're going to ride it out and together focus on building in this relationship what God wants for us. So you get to choose faith or fear. Sixth and final one. Here's the last one. And I ended on this one on purpose because I really felt the Lord wants to do something in in your life today. You can control or release, but you get to choose. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. (laughs) No, you didn't hear me. Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose. Now, if we believe that, we would release people. But many times what happened was you grew up in an environment, something happened back in the past, you were out of control, and inner vows were made that I will never lose control again. And so since then, you've been controlling relationships, putting God in there, but still trying to control it. And here's, here's what we know. People say, well, you know, I lost control in that relationship. No, you didn't lose control. You reaped what control produces. What's control produce? Rebellion. 
I mean, think about anybody you've ever tried to control. Think, think about your kids. Look, I got, I got four kids. You got to pray for, for your pastor. Three of them are teenagers, and one is about to step into being, I'm going to have four teenagers under the age of 17. And Phyllis and I are in this transition. We've been in this transition where you don't go from authoritarian, you're coaching. And I'm telling you, it's one of those deals where you want to just say, I'm going to control every area of their life, and this is what I have learned, and the Lord has really dealt with me on. If you try to control it, they will rebel. I'm not a God of control and manipulation. I'm a God of faith and trust and release. And so let me tell you what we've done. We've got guidelines. You can't bring that into my house. You can't do that at my house. Why? Because it's my house, and I pay the bills, and... When you're here, here's some of the stipulations, and I want to train you up, not because God doesn't want you to have fun, but God wants to protect you, and so we're trying to cultivate that, but here's how we're releasing. It's like, hey, son, and I've told them many a time, one of them sitting here on the front row, son, I love you. I can't go everywhere you go. I'm not in your hallways at your school. I don't go with you to your friend's house. I don't go to the soccer fields. I can't go to those places. I cannot make you do the right thing. But I want you to know that I love you unconditionally, that I believe in you, that I'm a champion for you. And here's the other deal. I said, son, if you ever get in trouble, you call me. You call me at 2 a.m., you call me. You in jail, you want to call your boy. I've been in jail. I can help you out. Come on, somebody. Like, like, so my point is this. I don't want you to make some of the same decision. Yeah, your pastor. Someone's like, we're going to another church. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I can't make him do what's right, but I can tell him I'm going to love you unconditionally. And here's the other thing. This is the part of shepherding. You will be at every youth service. You will be at every corporate prayer. I don't want to. Yeah, that's okay. Why? Because you in my house. You eat my food. You live under my roof. And so we get them in the presence of God. You go to youth camp, and not that any of them wouldn't want to go, but I've just said, you're going to go. Why? Because I'm going to put you in the right place, but I can't control you, nor can I manipulate you. And when we try to control and manipulate relationships, it never works out. So here, let, let me ask you, I'm, I'm going to just list out a few things, because what does control look like? Here's a few things. Control looks like unsolicited advice or opinions. If nobody didn't ask you, criticism and judgment, that's what control looks like. Unreasonable demands and expectations. So many of us are unaware of it, and the Lord's really been dealing with me. I, I'll never forget, and I write about it in my book, uh, when I was 16 years old, I talk about fishing with Johnny's story. Uh, if you hadn't heard it, you, you need to go read it, or I think it would bless you. Um, but basically, there was an inner vow. God let me down. I had asked him to not let it. Well, I guess I just got to tell the story now. So, <laughs> We're going fishing with my friend. They'd bought a brand new boat. And I hadn't, never been, well, I hadn't been fishing on a boat like that in my entire life. My dad did restaurants. And so my dad never took me. He was just busy. We'd go on a pier, but never on a boat. And he'd got this big, beautiful boat. Johnny says, come on over. It's Friday night. We'll go fishing. We'll have a blast. I don't even remember his last name. But I remember my mom let me go over there, which was unusual because he didn't go to our church, but she let me go. And as we began to go out, it started raining. And Johnny's like, well, we can't go out on the boat and rain like this. He said, but we'll go tomorrow. Why don't you ask your parents if you could stay? And I'm thinking, my parents will never let me stay because you don't go to my church. 
And uh, anyway, I called her, and for whatever reason, I have no idea why, she said, you could stay. So I'm praying. I'm like, God, please don't let it rain tomorrow. And here's, you got to remember, a 16-year-old teenager. I've been raised in church in revival services. I've seen miracles. The church we were at had revival break out. I'm talking like people just, I mean, it was it's unbelievable. So I've been there, and I loved God. And I always heard if you ask God, like pray to God, he hears you. And I'd never really ask God for anything. I just, I'm a low-maintenance guy, whatever. Probably just in my heart, I just, I just, God, I love you. And for whatever reason, I prayed, God, please, don't let it rain. Like, here's what, I never have asked you for anything. Can you do this for me? So I go to bed, no big deal. We get up in the morning and clouds are rolling in and I'm thinking, He's like, no, no big deal, bro. Just jump on the boat. He said, well, we're probably going to be able to get out. We get on the boat. No sooner did we get on the boat that it started pouring down. And I thought, okay. Yeah, you do miracles, but you don't do them for me. You love everybody else, and that's okay. I'm never, here's what I said, I'll intervow. I'll never get my hopes up because I don't ever want to be disappointed. And then from that moment on, what I recognized through processing that moment, that was the moment I began to control everything in my life. Because if the God of heaven wouldn't help me, then I was going to help myself. I just discovered this as I wrote the book just two years ago. How fascinating is that? I'm a pastor. I've been overseas on missions. I've seen miracles happen. And when we began to start the process for this building, what I believe God was uncovering in me was that this building was such a step of faith, it was going to uncover every ounce of pain and insecurity and every ounce of control where I would try to control outcomes and cause me to believe that there's a God in heaven that loves me, that cares about me, even if he didn't answer that prayer. And what I recognized was when I was asking God, do we buy this building, which you're sitting in the middle of a miracle? I wasn't asking God, God, can you keep it? The building, Here, here's what I ask God. God, I'm asking him as a 16-year-old boy, God, can you keep it from raining? Can you do the miracle for me because I'm asking? And man, I'm telling you, set me free. What's the point? Control. Some of you have found yourself controlling family, controlling work, controlling your company, controlling whatever it is that you're a part of. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to release because it says the purpose of the Lord prevails in your life, but it cannot prevail if you don't let go. So here's how I even look at it with my kids. I love them and I've let them go to God. Can I tell you God loves your child more than you do? Can I tell you God loves your spouse more than you do? God loves everything and every person more than you. And we have got to say, God, I don't understand. I may not like it, but I choose to release them back to you. So how do you know you're controlling? I'm going to give you just a couple of things. Here it is. When we repeat a suggestion, you can take a picture of these. I think they're going to come up. But repeat a suggestion or express our views more than once. Come on, you say, well, I, ju I just want to make sure you heard me. Husbands, wives, don't even look at each other. Just look straight ahead and nobody will know which one it is. Just, just straight. Just look at your pastor. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. They heard you the first time. Let me say it again. 
They heard you the first time. Here's another way we control is when we prod and cajole. So you just prod, this is for you. Uh-huh. Here's another way we control. We play the victim or martyr. I just need you to know you're not a victim. You're not a martyr. You're a victor. You're a champion. God of heaven is on the inside of you. You don't have to play a victim or a martyr. It's control. Here's another way we control when we cry to turn the heart of the person we're crying to. Not genuine cry, but you know you could turn on them tears. Here's another way we know we're controlling, when we guilt and shame to get our way. It's powerful. Just reflect on yourself, because here's what we're doing. We're releasing relationships in our life. So here's the next thing I want to give you, a couple, a couple of questions. How do you see if you might be controlling? Here's a few questions. Do I usually feel that I know best that I know what's best for my spouse. So I know what's best for them. Okay, be careful. Because I thought God knows what's best. Am I often impatient with him or her? No grace, little grace. I could just, you should be doing better. You should be better. Hey, listen, this is what I found for me. When I feel that, I'm the problem. I'm actually the very thing that's holding them up from being the best version of them. And I cannot tell you how powerful that is in my relationship with me and Phyllis, with my kids. Here's another one. Do I try to solve his or her problems all the time? Husbands, we love to solve our wife. Ain't nobody can get me in a tizzy like Phyllis. She starts talking, I'm ready to go rose rich on people. Like, where, what, tell me, I'm, I'm out. What do we got to do? Trying to, why? Because I want to solve, that's what, husband, I want to solve her problem. But what I realized is, and now we have this little deal, hey, you need a listening ear, just tell me listening ear because you're going to get me worked up otherwise because I'm here to solve your problem. And what I found is she's processing with me and if I'll let God do his job, God will solve her problem. And he does a much better job. Then here's, here's the last question I'm going to leave you with. Am I quick to point out my spouse's shortcomings? And again, you could apply this to parents, teenagers, child, coworker, whatever relationship. So what do we do if we stop controlling? We start praying for them. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the, have the requests that we have asked him for. Here's what I found myself doing more. Instead of trying to control, I come and pray. And here's how it often, God, I'm asking, you gotta, you gotta get them right. You gotta fix them. You gotta, Lord, do something. And God's like, I'm hearing you. Just keep praying because God loves to hear our prayers. God hears every prayer that you've ever prayed. And I love God's filter because God's filter is not to make you happy. Let me say it again. God's filter is not to make us happy. So he listens, and then he works. And his work, many times when I begin to pray for the other, is he begins to say, hey, do you remember when you did this? There's a conviction that comes upon me. And I know what Phyllis has been praying because she didn't have to say nothing, and I'm like, I feel, I feel convicted. And she's like, I know, I've been praying. <laughs> so we got to release. we got to pray. And then I, here's the scripture I want to end. I didn't end any other service with the scripture, but I felt led to, to end to this one. This is what God himself, 
is saying to you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I want to give you rest. Some of you hadn't felt rest in your relationship. Confusion, frustration, turmoil, pain, those would be some things, but I'm here to tell you God brought you here today because he loves you. He wants you to experience the rest that he wants to give to you. But you gotta come to him. That's what I love about this revival. The simplicity of coming to the Father. Not to fix anybody or to change anything, but just because, God, we love you. And I'm gonna give all of this to you. And I want you to know that God is here. He cares for you. He loves you. In fact, right now where you're at, you could bow your head and close your eyes. I wonder if you came here today and there is a heaviness. There's a burden you've been carrying. I don't know if it's a marriage relationship, a child relationship, a parent relationship, a co-worker relationship, a friend relationship. But there's just a heaviness. There's a burden that you've been carrying. I'm going to ask you right now just to stand up right where you're at. I'm going to pray for you. Just right now. I'm not going to wait long. If that's you, just stand quickly. You don't even have to think about it. You already know. Just stand up. I didn't do this in any other service. I felt led to do it in this one. I want you to hear this. God wants to remove that burden. He wants to go to work on your behalf. I'm going to pray for you. Father, right now, I'm asking you supernaturally, do what only you can do. That God, they're standing before you right now and they're giving you the burden. They're casting it off. Lord, I'm asking, Lord, give them grace and peace and strength. And Lord, that in this moment, the awareness that that relationship is in your hands. Total trust, total faith, total belief that God, your will is going to be done. 